Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs. We are the Dogs, the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. We've been around since the 60s and we'll be around as long as we need to, because, well, as long as public education needs defending, we'll be here on 3CR. Uh, today on the program, we, as always, um, will be analysing Issues of education in Australia and around the world, public education in particular, and those people who wish to destroy it in this country and around the world. And of course the attendant, strangely attended issues um, of the people who wish to attack public education, which in this country and again around the world, are those people who want to get away with the concept of separation of religion from the state. There are still people in the world for whom public education is anathema. And so here at the Dogs we often have to talk about um, the various policies and problems that exist when religion and the state um, are put together in ridiculous and in some ways um, um, quite quite violent and virulent ways. So yeah, we're um, staunch supporters of state education and we are staunch supporters of those people who wish to separate religion from the state, both here in Australia and around the world. Today we'll be talking about a number of things. Um, there's been a bit of a brouhaha in the press because Although we here at the Dogs and 3CR are quite happy to bring together the ideas of public education and the separation of religion from the state, there are now other people who are weighing into this in a, in a very big way, one of whom is Ross Giddens, who's written a very controversial article in the Fairfax Press just this last week. But rather than focus on just one simple thing, we'll be going around the world and discussing what's happening in America as well. Um, and we might be even be touching, as we always try to do, on a great state school because we always talk about the problems, but we like to finish with a solution. And the solution, of course, is what teachers and students and parents do together in your local state schools all around Australia. And we like to highlight the successes whenever we can. Here on the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools, 3CR. For 10 days in November, Defend and Extend's public housing will be campaigning on the steps of Parliament House to make public housing an election issue. Public housing, everybody's business. Join us anytime from Wednesday the 14th of November, that's midday the 14th of November, to Saturday midnight the 24th of November and put the spotlight on public housing this Victorian state election. Use Victoria's stamp duty revenue approximately $6 billion plus per year for public housing, house one million Victorians by 2029. Public housing, 
everybody's business. Join us. Bring tea. Bring coffee. Bring cakes. Bring food. Bring your musical instruments. And most importantly of all, bring yourself and your sleeping bag. Each year, 3CR celebrates International Day of People with Disability. I want choices and rights. Choices and rights. Join us on Monday, December 3rd from 7am to 7pm for a day of dedicated programming. Hear our voices on the issues that matter to us. The right to access, education, empowerment, pride, to creativity and expression, to freedom from discrimination and violence. Tune in on December 3 from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. on 3CR. And join the fight for the choices and rights of disabled people. (laughs) That was good, Matthew. Excellent, Dan. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Um, we will start the program as we often do when Jen's around. She's back from her little break. Um, with a press release. Press release for the Defensive Government Schools Organisation, number 770, which you can look at on our website at www.adogs.info. But if you don't want to get on the internet right now, why not just listen, wherever you happen to be, on what it is that Jean's come up with this week? Well, here it is, Robert. Press release 770. Australian Education in Hock to funding based on religion. The truth is out in stark reality. The Catholic hierarchy have never been concerned about poor parish schools and disadvantaged Catholic children. Again and again, the hierarchy have bullied our politicians, demanding control over their own education system with minimal accountability for billions of dollars of public money. In the 19th century, this hierarchy were prepared to do without state aid so that they could appoint and dismiss teachers, discriminate against students and control the curriculum. They did not expect to be in the financial wilderness for 80 years, but after 1964, the religious hierarchies have wielded unconscionable power in Australia. The latest political scalp in the coalition government was the erstwhile Minister for Education, Simon Birmingham, bless his little public school socks, who naively believed that the education funding landscape included disadvantaged children and a Gonski-style needs policy. He was swiftly blindsided by a Catholic bishop and his Melbourne bureaucrat, Mr Elder. They were aided and abetted by the Labour Party. Mr Shorten, bless his little Xavier socks, knew exactly what he was dealing with. Birmingham was only too happy to move sideways and give the chair to Dan Tehan, who, bless his little Xavier socks, understood the people he was dealing with. The reaction of Birmingham to his being kicked sideways, as outlined in The Guardian of the 6th of November 2018, is instructive. And I quote, and I'm sure that Robert talked to you about this last week too. Birmingham now concedes for the first time that it was a campaign that cost him his job. The price of peace, he said, was his own head on a platter. (laughs) Should have been called John the Baptist. 
I was confident, he said, that we could agree to a principled implementation. With the nine in ten Catholic education leaders who had always engaged with me in good faith. Well, that's very interesting, isn't it? So there was only one, but the one was enough. But if we also wanted peace with the one in ten, then a new face was clearly a prerequisite. And so Dan Tian was happy to suggest a number of credible options, including Dan Tian. The Catholic Church had their priests preaching from the pulpit on Sunday about how terrible the New South Wales government was when they stood up to um, the Catholic Church. The one in ten, Birmingham says, was the Victorian Catholic Education Commission's Stephen Elder, a former Victorian Liberal MP. And after it was all over, Elder expressed his regret for Birmingham's humiliation still appearing to claim responsibility for his scalp. Now, Birmingham was a really rare breed in Turnbull's cabinet. Out of 18 Liberal MPs, he was the one of only four who attended public schools. Tasked with the difficult job of securing Senate support for the Gonski 2.0 package, which would deliver more cash than Abbott, but less than promised by Gillard, it was decided that the best plan was to hang it on principle. And the Senate law was an end to special deals and one funding system for all schools, public and private. But senior Liberals now concede that the one funding model agenda was crafted to appeal to the Greens, not the old DLP. But it set the Turnbull government on a collision course, of course, with the Catholics. Now, the coalition still have a problem, and so do the Catholic hierarchy, and so do other religious hierarchies. The DLPers may have infiltrated the coalition, and they're always there in the Labour Party in New South Wales and elsewhere, but they no longer hold the balance of power. And the Catholic sector may have gained yet another special deal, but the public school vote is, is out and about with a vengeance. And it's looking at all the options. State governments know this, even if the coalition has not yet woken up to what has just occurred. Now, the mainstream media are no longer prepared to run from religious issues as the economic realities of Australian education funding start to bite. The work of Trevor Cobald from Save Our Schools is being taken up and given wide coverage in the Fairfax media. For example, on the 13th of November 2018, Ross Gittins, the economics editor of The Age, bemoaned the price we have paid for decades of school funding based on religion. And this is what he has to say. What a country we live in. We can happily agree to same-sex marriage, but when Catholics put the frighteners on, politicians on both sides get weak need. Some relevant information has just arrived from Paris. A report from the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development otherwise known as the OECD, has used its PISA worldwide testing of 15-year-olds on maths, reading and science to assess progress on equity in education. 
Now, Prime Ministers love boasting about our economy's high standing in the world. So how about this? Australia now has the equal fourth most socially stratified education system among the OECD's 35 member countries. Only Mexico, Hungary and Chile can claim to have a more social class-segregated school system than ours. For a country that still likes to think of itself as class-free, that's quite an achievement. Ross Gittins, like many others, are prepared to still romance about Gonski and sector-blind needs policies, believing that religious men who say they follow Christ actually care about disadvantaged children rather than status, power and taxpayer dollars. Dogs have never made that mistake. That doesn't mean to say, by the way, that dogs are not aware that some religious people are very genuine, because they are. The only way forward for all the nation's children, however, is to have publicly funded schools that are open to all without any discriminatory requirements. This means schools that are free, secular and universal. If religious beliefs are important to some, and they are, then that should be a private, not a public matter. It should most certainly not be a matter for billions of dollars of public funding. Australia is a pluralist, not a theocratic society, although you might have thought so uh, when the Bishop from Melbourne got on the phone to Mr Birmingham. Why should any taxpayer be forced to pay for the propagation of beliefs to which they do not believe? It's outrageous that in a democracy which claims to believe in separation of religion from the state, a Melbourne bishop and his education administrator, Mr Elder, can determine the fate of a minister for education and have him kick sideways as they prize even more billions from the public treasury. So that is our press release 770. And... It was based, as you can see, upon recent articles in the Fairfax and the Guardian media. And we're very fortunate to still have the Fairfax media. It hasn't quite been taken over by Channel 9 just yet. But we're also very lucky to have the Guardian, and above all, we're lucky to have 3CR. But what's always interesting when you go online to these articles is to look at all the comments and... Dale, over the console here, has got a few of these comments. How many were there to the Gittins article? Thanks, Jen. Yeah, there's uh, over 348 comments in just the last 24 hours, so it's a hot topic. And, uh, well, I'll read uh, a comment that's uh, from someone we all know and love. This is Jean's comment. <laughs> She's added um, her two cents. Uh, there has never been a needs policy that was not transferred into a greeds policy by the private religious schools. Even in 1973, when Carmel attempted to divide schools into class A, B, etc. schools, the schools that looked like losing a few dollars kicked up a stink and made sure they were paid off before a few taxpayer 
crumbs could be passed down to disadvantaged students. Education Minister Beasley caved into pressure very swiftly. The Catholic bureaucracy made sure that the showpiece that showpiece poor parish schools remained that way while taxpayer funds were used to build the more needy schools. And so it has continued to the present because no one's had the guts to call sectarian schools sectarian. Decades later, taxpayers are more than paying for this inefficient, expensive denominational system. It failed in the 19th century, it has failed in the 20th century and now the 21st century. The needs policy has failed. It is time to take subsidised schools over and open them up to all children and let the rest be as independent as they choose. The dogs said this in 1964 and they were not wrong. And then another comment from Cassidy, uh, which uh, reflects a lot of what Jean's just said, uh, says, it really is time for another constitutional challenge to the whole notion of government support for sectarian schools. Remember dogs? No state aid for non-state schools. A federal progressive party, in other words, an alliance of the non-lunatic Greens and the progressive wings of the Labor and Liberal parties, should move to abolish the whole private education and training sector and compulsorily acquire their real estate, teaching staff and other resources. This is the only way we will ever have equity and fairness. And Sly Abdul says... uh, And if you believe in equality of opportunity, the first thing you fix is schooling. The problem with the coalition, the problem is the coalition don't believe in equality of anything really. They were hounded into action over marriage equality and will no doubt change it back next time they have, they have control of both houses. Religion is used as an exemption from anti-discrimination laws. In the Liberal Party, just 22 of the Liberal Party's 107 federal parliamentarians are women. Indigenous Australians remain unequal in their day-to-day lives and of so little concern that we can't put onto paper the fact they existed on this land before we arrived and we continue to manage their welfare like overbearing Victorian-era nannies. Boardrooms around the country are stacked with men, and the gender pay gap continues on its march through history, not to mention things like Mr Abbott once being the Minister for Women with assistance from a woman, just to mention a few examples. So equality in education, not likely. The coalition likes the class system. They like it the way it is. The plebs separated from those, or them, that can pay for the best education. I'm afraid these are facts Abbott, Dutton and the Liberal cabal want to hear. And the threats and promises from Catholic schools lobby, from the, from Catholic schools lobby sound a lot louder than words from their departments or a non-biased economist. Uh, Ellie says, uh, which reiterates what Jean said in the press release, Australia now has the equal fourth most socially stratified education system among the OECD's 35 men- member countries. Note the reference was to social stratification. 
Pipes and uh, know-it-all pipes in with uh, the teachers and their unions always seem to be absolved of any blame for the relatively poor standard of education in our schools. The public schools are not immune from these lower standards, so it's quite wrong to try and blame it on the private schools. Funding is often used as an excuse for the failures. But RGY then uh, counters with, it's when private schools can afford to pay higher wages and attract many good teachers from the public system or private schools having better resources and facilities to support teachers and educate our kids. So yes, it is quite right to put much of the blame onto the private schools. And another comment comes, uh, I want no religious schools. Believe what you want to believe, but remove it from the education system. The last thing the world needs is people carrying on centuries-long disagreements over their religions and their religious ideologies into our school system. School is where we should teach everyone to get on with each other and treat each other with respect and not discriminate over anything. Instead, what we are delivering is just another form of propaganda and indoctrination without free thought delivered by thousands of part-publicly funded private and independent schools. Shame. And well, then, they certainly had a good time, didn't they? Yeah, well, there's just... These 300-odd people. Yeah, well, there's one, one more uh-huh. to finish off with, uh, and this is Archfile says, the only reason the coalition exists is to look after the interests of the privileged, the people who vote for them, the people with sharp elbows who always get in front of the queue in hospitals, schools and universities. Why would they worry about inequality? Oh, look, thank you so much, Dale. Uh, listeners, that's just an example of all of the people who took te- pen to paper. And my assessment is that it was running all 80 to 90% in favour of Ross Gittins and um, also in favour, in many cases, of the dog's position. But that's enough about that for the moment. Let's have a bit of music, shall we?
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial. Look, these people are getting all jumping up and down and grumpy, and you go, why? You know, who cares about equity in education, equity, equality? Um, look, it's really simple. What's happened is the OECD have put out this report that has shown that several countries have advanced their education programs, China, Singapore, Hong Kong, and many other countries in South America, Africa, and Europe, They've advanced their economies in terms of making sure the largest number of people in their country get the best education possible. Now, there's a measure for this, and it's a pretty simple measure, is does a child attain a higher level of education and a higher status job than their parents? Now, I'm sure many parents say, well, no, of course. I mean, what I'm doing as a parent, one of my responsibilities as a parent is to make sure that my child has the opportunity to get the highest quality education possible and then to get a higher status job than me. That's a good thing if my child does better than I do because they have the opportunities. Now, in Australia, what this report is saying, this OECD report, the report, by the way, is called Breaking Down Barriers to Social Mobility. It's a boring title, but it's just come out and it's very interesting. Part of the report is a longitudinal study of Australia and Canada and Denmark and Switzerland and the United States, but it's Australia as well. Um, and this longitudinal study has this measure, which is the student's performance near the end of compulsory education and matching that up to upward social mobility. That is to say, um, a higher level of education than their parents and a higher status job than their parents. And in Australia, for the first time, in our over 200-year history, the generation that we are seeing grow up now are being worse educated and are getting poorer jobs than their parents. We as a nation are going back educationally, and this is the problem. And Ross Gittens has made the very simple connection that if you pour taxpayers' funding into educating the so-called elites or the people who already have the ability to educate their children independently, if you give them money and then you say we don't have enough money for anyone else, then you have a significant problem. You have what we have in Australia, which is an inequitable education system. And not just inequitable, but more inequitable than it has been in the past. We are going backwards while the rest of the world is going forwards. That was to be expected. The dog said that this would happen in 1964. Yeah, but it's a fact. What we're talking about now is the fact. And now we say, well, what, well what, is, you know, what is the reason for this? And blaming teachers, obviously, is just not the way you go. You say, well, where's the money going? Where, where is the money being spent? Who's it being spent on? And can we do it more effectively, accountably and efficiently? Well, Trevor Cobalt, of course, has come up with all sorts of inter interesting ideas as far as we're concerned. Um, and Ross Gittin's report is largely based upon what Trevor Cobalt has done in analysis of this. 
And I think it's worth talking in detail about what Trevor Cavold has produced. Now, he's produced um, a number of documents in terms of analysis of this OECD report. But one which I think is the most relevant is from a website called Pearls and Irritations, run by John Menager, a very interesting website which we often quote from here on the DOGS program. He says, look, this report draws on international data, respected data, and shows that Australia has the equal fourth most segregated school system in the OECD, with 51% of disadvantaged students concentrated in disadvantaged schools, which in Australia means state schools. Now, if you think, oh, well, all state schools are poor and rubbish and horrible, do not fear, I'll be talking later on about an extraordinary school down near Wonthaggy, which is a great state school. But this concentration on disadvantage does have an overall effect for us as a country. We are only exceeded in terms of inequity and unfairness by Mexico, Hungary, surprisingly, and Chile. In Chile, they had rights in the streets about education. And in Australia, if we keep going, I'm sure we will too. Now, across the OECD, 48% of disadvantaged students are in disadvantaged schools, while in Finland, which has the least social segregation, it's 40. Now, this is partly to do with postcodes, that is, poor people tend to live with other poor people and rich people tend to live with other rich people around the world. In South Africa, of course, you have, you know, sort of ghettos of poor people and ghettos of rich people, and that's a very segregated society, and, the edu- and how the schools um, play out um, are reflective of that. America as well. But Australia is in fact more segregated in its schools than America is. Or the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom, you know, the birthplace of the class structure as we know it has less inequity than we do as a country down here in the southern oceans. Now in contrast, advantaged schools in Australia have very few disadvantaged students compared to the OECD because we don't just segregate all the poor students together, we make sure that they do not end up in Australia um, rubbing shoulders with anyone with any money (laughs) because, you know, there's that whole classic thing, I send my child to private school so they do not have to rub shoulders with the poor and the needy. Now, Australia also has the equal largest increase increase in social segregation in schools over the past 12 years. So not only are we rubbish, we're getting worse. We have the highest increase in unfairness in our education system. Not, not the, there's, there's no one more, there's no one accelerating towards this, this, this Armageddon of inequity faster than we are. Now social segregation in schools compounds the effect of individuals and socioeconomic backgrounds on achievement and exacerbates the gap between rich and poor. What this means is the next generation after this one will again have poorer educational outcomes and will again be working in jobs that are a lower status than their parents because the children of today, that is their reality, and the children of tomorrow, that will continue to be their reality. Functionally, if we keep doing this in Australia, what we are doing is we are creating an uneducated country. We are doing this on purpose. And Ross Gittins is saying the reason we're doing it, quite frankly, is that the whole place has been hijacked by a religious minority who are demanding taxpayers' money to support their schools and, as Jean would say, the devil take the hindmost. It's absolutely extraordinary. Now, these are the words of Trevor Cobalt. Um, some, some of them are mine, but I'm actually quoting from his article when I say that a small proportion of disadvantaged students who attended advantaged schools in Australia, so there are some kids out there, 
scored 86 points on the Pisa Science Scale above their disadvantaged peers in disadvantaged schools. So if you do put disadvantaged kids amongst advantaged kids and give them the resources of the advantaged schools in Australia, oh, they're smart. We're not talking about how smart kids are. Oh, no. We're just talking about how well they do at school and what kind of jobs they're going to get. Because how smart they are has got nothing to do with it. What a waste. What a waste. Absolute waste. Terrible waste. And this is, what, this is the thing that always gets me. And Ross Gittin has put his finger on it. And I'm going to say it again. It disgusts me that the wealth of your parents determines the quality of your education as opposed to, to the quality of your character. The quality of your character and the smarts that you have should determine how well you do in a test, not not the postcode that you live in and not the income that your parents have. And in Australia, it is true and an accepted wisdom. Cobell will say it. People all around will say, oh, well, it's okay. If you're poor, obviously you're not going to do very well at school. No, I don't accept that. That, that is a living evil that must be fought, and very rarely do I use the word evil, Jean. You, you, you can quote me on that one. I don't, I don't deal in terms of good and evil, but if there is an evil in the world, the fact that we sit and accept the fact that poor children will just be lousy at school in Australia without actually fighting that fact until it is no longer a fact, then... There speaks a teacher who has come in contact with these children and who knows that they are smart. Of course they are. Well, some are, some aren't. Like everyone, everyone's different. Every, you, 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 Every child as is Plato, As Plato says, you find out what interests a child so you can bring out the genius in each. I mean, everyone's different, of course. But, yeah, just, just to say, well... It doesn't matter if you're smart or not. You're stuffed because you come from a poor family. Is unacceptable. That must be fought. If it teaches in the education system and the government has to do anything, then that's what they have to do. And nobody is allowed to because, as I highlighted last week and this week, the private school lobby have got the politicians in Australia by the balls. And I don't know why. There's no reason. There's no power anymore. It's fascinating that a bishop in Melbourne can call up one bishop, there were, there were nine others who were towing the line, one bishop and one ex-MP from the coalition. And that's that, all it took. That's all it took. That's all it took and they rolled over. Absolutely. Anyway, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going off on one. I think we should get away from this now. Um, there's a great deal more to say and we perhaps will sort of, this, this story I think is going to play out over the weeks and so we'll be, we'll be following it closely here at the DOGS program on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. But I do want to talk about something else that I think is a tragedy. It's not an evil, but it's just a, I don't know, it's stupid. And it's going on in America, and it has to do with privatised education over there in the United States. However, there's been a reaction. Yeah, and we'll be discussing that as well, Dean, don't you worry. Theresia will be broadcasting live from the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in support of Defend and Extend Public Housing's 10-day vigil. Public housing, everybody's business. Join the Anarchist World this week at Parliament House, 10am to 11am, on two Wednesdays, the 14th and 21st of November. And yes, there is more. Also join Talk Back With Attitude at Parliament House, 10 to 11am, Thursday the 15th, and the 22nd of November. Make public housing a significant issue for the forthcoming state election. Join us. 
all these live broadcasts on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Are you 18 years and over? Have you been stopped by a Victorian police officer or protective service officer in the last 10 years? Would you like to contribute to research that aims to inform law reform and litigation strategies to prevent over-policing? Go to policestopsurvey.online for more information and to take part. That's policestopsurvey.online, a 3CR supporter. Yes, let's turn to the United States. I'm referring to an article here by Jake Nevins from The Guardian. There's a... um a fellow who's a documentary maker, and in 2014 he decided to do a documentary on the privatised education system in the United States. Because um, in the United States all sorts of really strange things are happening. Um, in, in the United States, just by the way, which has a less inequitable system than Australia, we are worse than they are, um, they do not allow, um, or have not allowed for many years, the funding of religion of any sort, be it in a school or for a church, or because they have a separation of religion from the state. However, they do have this thing called a voucher system, which allows someone who wants an education to go and spend their voucher in a private education college as opposed to a publicly funded one. And in the United States, they've been regulated very poorly because in 2014, a filmmaker called Alex Shebenow, he read about a particular college called the Corinthian College. It was one of America's largest for-profit college companies. And he was working indeed, Alex, he was working on a documentary about student loan debt. Now, relying heavily on federal loans, from which he took $1.4 billion in yearly revenue, Corinthian College was on the brink of collapse. Sounds like a charter school, is it? No, it's just it's it, it's like just a for-profit. School. It's just a for-profit school like we have here in in Victoria. Mm. It's like one of those you take the money from the government, mm. you educate the child, and then how the child is or how the individual is educated has got nothing to do with anyone after that apparently. Mm. Now, Corinthian is a behemoth of the for-profit industry that markets its vocational and post-secondary programs to single mothers at or below the poverty line. And it was already under investigation by several federal agencies in the United States. It was under investigation by the Education Department and 20 separate state attorneys general when it said it could not operate for more than a few days without an influx of cash. Internal documents reveal that the for-profit specified target isolated and impatient individuals with low self-esteem. That was their business model. They went out there and tried to enrol people who were isolated, people who were impatient, and people who had low self-esteem. It was this run-in with the sordid underbelly of the penalty for-profit college industry and the multi-state investigation into the company that set up an ostensibly government-run website funneling veterans' funds into for-profit schools because not only were they targeting people with low self-esteem and impatient and isolated, they were trying to get money out of veterans who were given by the United States government money to further their education, targeted them as well. Now, Sherabo said, I don't know how these people can sleep at night. Those who work, um, and basically a lot of people don't realise what's percolating beneath the surface. It was crazy, and no one had done a documentary on this until now. And it took a bunch of 20-something filmmakers to do it. 
I was always so worried someone was going to come out with a documentary of their own because this story was so big and so important, said Sherebo. I thought there was no way we were the only ones doing it. But somehow, he said, that was the case. Now, he made a movie. The movie's called Fail State and explains in broad digestible fashion all of this began in 1972, about the same time as in Australia, when for-profits, often called proprietary vocational or career-driven colleges, became eligible for federal student aid under the amendment of the Lyndon B. Johnson's Higher Education Act of 1965, again about the same time as Australia. The rerouting of financial aid money for institutions to students themselves was meant to allow private universities to compete with public universities, whose low costs made enrolment swell. But this opened the door to for-profit-driven colleges, who took advantage of the desire to make higher education more inclusive and to encourage students to take out huge sums of financial aid and loans and money. It's a bit like our current TAFE system, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. That's been privatised, not the public one. Now, at the time, this is back in the day, a series of congressional hearings and the attention of the Congress- Congresswoman Maxine Walters, who actually appears in this document- documentary called Failed State, helped set in motion a series of provisions that would allow for the oversight of the for-profit industry. It's called the 8515 rule, requiring at least 15% of the company's revenue come from sources other than government student state aid, and the 5050 rule, ensuring that no more than half of the college courses were offered online or by mail, back in the day, or the internet these days, and the incentive compensation rule, banning college recruiters from receiving bonuses based on how many students they lured into the program. So these were all set in, set in, set in 1992, when they found they first had problems. Now, in the following decade, to 2002, though, congressional interest in policing the for-profit sector waned, and many of these regulations were dismantled or otherwise softened. Now, this documentary guides viewers through the potentially wonky information with a careful hand, emphasising the fact that the Democrats and the Republicans alike have been guilty of lenience towards and even support for the for-profit-driven colleges. George W. Bush is the Assistant Secretary, uh, Assistant Secretary for Postmodern Education, um, was previously a lobbyist for the Apollo Education Group. So, you know, what's going on in Trump's world is, is there's nothing new about it, really. Now, what happens? What happens now? Why is this relevant now? Well, this particular documentary is relevant now because in the testimony it provides from students who were scammed. They attested to being harassed by phone calls, emotionally manipulated, deceived about cost, and persuaded that their post-secondary educations would land them implausibly high-paying jobs. Two years' investigations by the Senate Health, Education and Labor Pensions Committee produced what Sherbo calls one of the most damning reports on a single industry in congressional history and found evidence of aggressive and insidious practices like pain funneling, which is in fact a script from which recruiters would read what was designed to prod at emotionally or financially susceptible prospective students. Now, this is where it gets even more interesting. Now, a year into production, Cherubro and his team scoured the internet for those students who found hundreds of them commiserating in comment sections and company reviews. He said, part of what was so fundamentally saddening to me is that the people who are being affected and preyed upon by these schools are somehow the most voiceless in society, and their arcs are all very similar. They were promised the world, it was affordable, you don't need to worry about your student loan debt, and then they enrolled and realised their education was leading nowhere, or some realised the scam halfway through and just dropped out, but had all the debt anyway. We know this story so well with our $19 billion scam. 
Now, that the president himself of the United States of America once ran a criminal for-profit education company, and when I say criminal, I'm not, you know, you can see me on this one, it was proved to be criminal, Trump University. Well, that's right, yes. That he'd appointed... Now, that he would appoint the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, who was a willing foot soldier for the cause of private colleges, was not something Sherebrae and his team anticipated when they began work back in 2014. Now, the saga of Trump University has been well documented, but Betsy DeVos's overtures towards the for-profit industry since she's become the Education Secretary, including the elimination of all the checks and balances on these people's business models, which, because Obama, when he was, a, he was a president, basically he said, if you don't provide gainful employment, then you, the college, have the problem yourself. She said, oh, no, 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 we're going, we're going to get rid of that. Now, DeVos, the director, explains of, of the documentary, is also drinking with the rules mandating substantive teacher-student interaction, which means that for-profit colleges can now run their courses, get their government funding and pop their students out without actually having a teacher and a student interact at all. It's just online. Now... Sherebro himself is actually ecstatic. He's hit, he's hit upon an absolutely point-button issue there because he's, he's just a documentary maker. But the issues he's talking about, they've all happened here in Australia and they're happening all around the world where for-profits, be they religious or otherwise, are destroying education systems such that, and I'm going to say this one more time, that the child will be less well-paid and less well-educated than the parent just as a factor of the country that they live in. We're going backwards. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State College. schools are great. Harkaway Primary great School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really school. concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the when weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So, so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long don't necessarily start off with a Positive great relationships with each other, with teachers and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. Every week on the Doctor Program we have a special segment 
to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. All that doom and gloom around the world. Now I'm going to contradict myself because do you know what? Sending your child in Australia to a state school is the best thing you can do for them. Now, a lot of parents here, they're going, what am I going to do? It's all gloom and doom. If I put my child in a group of other children from poor, poor backgrounds and I'm not, I haven't got any money, then I'm stuffed, aren't I? It's all gloom and doom. No, don't worry. I'm going to teach you how to game the system because I'm going to talk about a great state school. What you do is you move to Powlett River. You move to Pallet River down at Wonthaggy, you're just fine. I want to talk about Pallet River Primary School. It's actually in in Daylaston, which is just north of Wonthaggy and just a bit sort of bit bit to the east of um, Phillip Island down there. It's a little country school. Now, what do little country schools do? Well, I'll tell you what this one does. This school has 50 kids in it. It's got 50 kids in it and it's got four teachers. Because it's a small school. Now, who are the kids? Well, they are, well, put it this way, Ixia value. Remember I was picking on going on about that? 1,000 is the average. This school has an Ixia value of 966, which is well below the average. So, you talk about disadvantaged parents and disadvantaged this, this, and that. So, yeah, that, that, all these kids are disadvantaged, absolutely. And they're all together because only 77, sorry, 7% of the kids come from the top Ixia value. And 38% come from the lowest Ixia quartile, which is to say that, um, well, how can I say this? There's about 70% of the kids that come from the poorest half of Australians. Oh, boy. You know, if you listen to all the doom and gloom I'm talking about, these kids are stuffed, right? No way. You know why? Because they go to a great state school. Pallet River Primary School strives to and succeeds at providing a caring, caring and comprehensive education for all of their 49 kids. There's 49 there at the moment because one didn't turn up. Um, enabling them to reach academic, social and physical potential. They've gained a reputation for assisting students with learning challenges, which is to say, you've got a child with a learning challenge, you've got a child with behavioural challenges, bring them to us. We love them. We love them all because we are a state school. We're not going to sit you down at the end of the day and say... I'm afraid your child's behaviour means their education will be best served in another educational institution goodbye, as they do in many private schools. This school, they say, no, we specialise in it. If you've got a child that you know everyone else has problems with, bring them to us. We'll love them. We'll teach them. We will give them a comprehensive education. Now, of course, in the school, they've highlighted the need for developing students' ability in the English language skills with focus on reading and writing, and this has led to high-quality programs and teaching practices in those areas. Okay? So you go into the school, you've got all this stuff going on, and because it's a school of 49 kids, let's have a look at the results that these 49 kids have. Now, these 49 kids have a series of results, which mean that in, by the time they finish grade three, this is on a NAPLAN test, which you know doesn't tell you much, but it tells you a bit, the NAPLAN, they are well, majorly above the average for similar schools, similar schools with other disadvantaged students. I'll also point out that in this school, Powlett River Primary School in Dalliston down there, just north of Wonthaggy, they are way ahead of rich kids as well. They are way ahead of everyone. Against all schools in Australia, 
These kids know how to read, they know how to write, they know how to grammar, they know how to count, they know how to multiply, they know how to add up. They know all the stuff they need to know down at this little primary school. I wonder if they have a bit of music along the way too. Oh, and sport. And sport. Yep, they have a bit of music, they have a bit of sport, they have a bit of a lot because it's a country school. So if you want to game the system, well... Most parents say, mm, I'm going to send my child to a selective state school. Yeah, nah. Go out to the country. Go out to the country, find yourself a little state school that's working, like the Powlett River Primary School down there in Dalliston. Um, how much does it cost? Well, that's a big question. You've got a small school, you've got four teachers, you've got 50 kids, that's going to cost you a bit. Do you know what? It costs per kid 22500 That is well above what it costs um, to make a gold standard education. But because it's a small country town in a regional area, I don't mind. I don't mind that. And do you know what? That's a lot less than it was it cost to educate a child in a rigid private school in the middle of Melbourne. It uh, costs you a lot less. Um, and I'm the taxpayer, and if a school says, give us your tired and huddled masses that have got problems, as far as I'm concerned, you just pay what you need to pay because those kids, are, well, I'm just very selfishly when I get old, those kids will be looking after me. Um, you know, we need to make sure that the next generation in Australia is better educated and has better job prospects than the last, so that when I'm dead and gone, I'm, we have left a legacy that's worth leaving, as opposed to the opposite of what Trevor Cobb was saying. And do you know what, Dalliston, down there in Dalliston, the Powlett River Primary School, thank you. Thank you to the teachers, thank you to the administrators, thank you to the parents, and thank you to those kids for learning so good. So I'm going to have to say right now that... Powlett River Primary School, quite frankly, stunning work. You are our great state school for the week. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world. And there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, welcome back. Isn't that nice to have a good news story at the end of the program? That's why I like to have that segment, a great state school. Now, if you know a great state school, you're one of our students going, actually, there's a school down the road that, you know, that the world needs to know about. Well, guess what? I've got a microphone. I'd like to tell the world. So if you do want to call 3CR on 9419 just say, can you tell Rob on the dogs program that such and such and such and such state school was a great state school? I'll do all the research. You don't have to do that. I'll do all the research and I'll put it on the radio. So if you call our offices here at 3CR Community Radio on 94198377 and say, can I leave a message for Robert the Dogs, um, please do that and I'll put it on the air the next week. But look, it's been wonderful to have your company here on the Dogs program. It is unfortunate that we will be back next week because we haven't won the battle yet. We have to keep defending government schools both here on 3CR and on our website at www.adogs.info, www.adogs.info. But um, we have to come back next week if you haven't won the fight. 
And, of course, you, the listener, needs to know more about what's going on when it comes to educational issues and the separation of religion from the state in this great nation of Australia. But until next week, from G, myself and Dale, it's bye for now. Says he.